0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Disruptors by Bloomberg Intelligence. My name is Neeraj Patel. I'm a technology analyst on the Bloomberg Intelligence team, Bloomberg's in-house research group. We are very excited today to have the CEO and co-founder of Klaviyo, Andrew Bilecki. We look to hear how Klaviyo has evolved into the standard in email marketing automation for Shopify customers and how the company's evolution to a multi-channel marketing solution is taking place as they deliver software to 135,000 plus customers today. With that, let's turn to Andrew. And before we dive into the industry conversation, Andrew, we would love to hear a little bit about yourself, even pre clavio how that journey unfolded, and some of the major turning points and highlights, which has spanned over a decade in the making from the initial founding to the IPO for Clavio.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, first, uh, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. So, man, my background. Uh, I before I was got into software. I was actually a a a physics uh, major in school and thought about a career in physics. So imagine working in a lab all day. Uh, I think I realized pretty quickly that it was it was gonna be too slow paced for me, Um, and so I was lucky enough to get to go to. uh, I worked out at Microsoft for a summer. Um, out in the uh, out in Redmond, and uh, it was just a great time. Um, I, and I was lucky too to within Microsoft. It wasn't the biggest division, but worked with like uh, the MSN team. If you remember that uh, back in the uh, old, good old days of portal pages, um, and that was really fun. Uh, you realize like how fast you could build things. And uh, I've got a you know my co-founder Ed and I both care a lot about design, so. Anyways, we did that, and then um, it's interesting, like the idea for Clavio actually came from the first company that I worked out uh, worked at out of college. So my I met my co-founder, uh, Ed. Uh, we were working at a software company that was uh, not where you'd expect, just outside of D.C., but a really talented team, um, you know, 40, 50 folks. Uh, and definitely one of the things that you took away from that was like, man, small teams can do incredible things. And uh, we were helping a whole bunch of uh, Fortune 500 banks, retailers, other consumer businesses. And this is, you know, it's before we had kind of distributed computing. Uh, the idea of web apps was just getting going, with still a lot of desktop software. And we were helping these, you know, big Fortune 500s. And they had the exact same questions our Clavio customers have today. They had all, you know, they had all these end consumers, and they were trying to understand how they were behaving. Uh, and then, critically, like personalize the experience for each one of them. But even like, what did that mean? And uh, I remember a real aha moment for me was uh, we were working with a big bank, and uh, you know they came to us and said, "Hey, you know, we have all these uh, you know consumer uh, consumer banking customers. So think about you know you and I, where you put your checking uh, checking account, uh, where you have your savings." And they said, you know, we know consumers are, you know, there's more online banking, people are shopping around, and we're like, we're curious, which of our customers do you think are likely to leave? They're going to move our deposit somewhere else. And so we spent, you know, uh, Ed and I spent a good, um, you know, probably two, three months working with this, you know, big, you know, U.S. bank to build a model that would predict which of their consumers were likely to leave. And so we built this model and we understood, you know, we learned all these things about data infrastructure and how to get their data and data feeds and how to do the actual, like, um, you know, ML um, and data science on top. And we gave them back this file that said, okay, guys, here's, you know, here's 100,000 customers we think are likely of, you know, leaving uh, in the next year. And so aha moment one was just, okay, well, what? boy, everybody struggles with this, like how to just take your data, wrangle it and understand it. Then aha number two was, it took that bank almost six months to actually action the data that we gave them. Uh, by the time that their client teams had reached out to consumers, they figure out what kind of offer they were going to give those folks to stick around. You know, six months had passed, and when we checked in with them, you know, they said, "Hey, we're just starting to get going on this." And we're like, "Well, guys, you know, we gave you this list, but half of those people are gone. You know, this is this is way too slow, and uh, you know, it's obviously incredibly." a really smart, driven team that we were working with at that bank. But uh, we just realized the technology really didn't work together. This idea of the software used to analyze things and the software used to deliver customer experiences, action it was just totally, they were totally divorced from one another. Um, So anyways, uh, so we took that away. Um, You know, my co-founder, Ed, uh, went off to business school. I was never a business school person. I was like, no, I'm going to learn on the fly. So went and joined some startups. uh, in Boston and then uh, yeah a few years later that's uh, that's what led us starting Clavio.
0: Oh, that's a very interesting uh, route before Clavio. and at Clavio, now touching on your point here about the customers and I think front and center is the macro dynamics today in the environment, a lot of the volatility. We see some positive points about employment. We see little challenges on the SMB side. That has been dragging out for 15 months plus, we think on sour sentiment and tight budgets, specifically as it relates to some of the software post the 3Q earnings. You have a unique seat. You get to see the business spend on software for a a consumer base very broadly. Uh, Can you tell us what you're seeing ahead of Black Friday in the holiday season?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, we, I talk to a lot of our customers, uh, big and small, um, and a lot of our partners. And I think everybody understands, you know, consumers are being a lot more thoughtful with how they're spending. And, you know, Clavio is all about powering smarter digital relationships. So we believe in businesses having direct lines of communications to their consumers, and then making sure they're using all the data they have, all the first party data they have, to make those experiences awesome. You know, the big thing that we're talking about is because consumers have limited budget and frankly limited time, it's all about how do you build that smarter digital relationship, how do you wow a customer, and how do you do it fast? So just as an example, uh, you know, a lot of consumers, they'll they'll give you, you know, an opportunity to, they'll browse around your website, they'll sign up for a newsletter, be it email or text messages, but they want to be, they want some value add right away. Um, They're not willing to wait for that, you know, uh, fifth or 10th email or text message. They want to know what value can you provide to them uh, on day one, on message one. And so uh, that helps them. I mean, it's not just when folks are, uh, you know, being more thoughtful with how they're going to spend their money. But also, just I mean, everybody has uh, a shorter and shorter, you know, attention span. We're spending less and less time deciding whether or not, you know, a product, a service, piece of content is something we like. Uh, really nailing it the first time matters, and speed matters, and being able to measure and then experiment quickly matters. Um, you know, so that's for uh, customers like Hotel Lobby Candle, um, Our Place, um, Way, like. For those, for those businesses, we're helping them, how do you make that first, first experience, that initial kind of jumping off point to a relationship, how do you make that great? And certainly leading into the holidays, that's more important than ever because for a lot of these businesses, not only they have customers that are coming back, deciding if they're going to spend their dollars with a brand again, but they also have a lot of folks that are coming to a business and it's the first time they're ever going to buy or interact with that brand, and that experience has to be memorable. So... That's 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 really what we're focused on, is how do you not just build a digital relationship some, with somebody, but how do you build a really great relationship and do it on the first try?
0: Yeah, and when you look across this uh, expanse of consumers and the variety of spending that is targeting them and stepping back and zooming out and looking at the business side, how has the tech stack spending uh, come out of the pandemic? You know, there has been a surge in terms of online presence and the spending to kind of encourage that. Are you seeing a shift in terms of uh, marketing campaign spend versus other back office or front office categories? Well, so
1: with Klaviyo, uh we're focused on consumer businesses. So think B2C businesses, businesses that have a lot, a lot of customers, lots of end consumers. We're probably spending on average like you know uh, a little bit less. So our typical end consumer might spend between a hundred or a thousand dollars a year uh, with a business. So that's the kind of thing where you can't afford to have an account manager or a sales representative, you know go and talk to every single one of those people. There's too many of them. So for us, it's all about it's all about automation. It's all about how do we help those businesses scale. And I think when those kinds of businesses, when consumer businesses think about where they want to spend on software or just generally, I mean, they're really looking at two things: is this is this software, is this product, is this service? Is it going to help me make myself more efficient, so maybe I can, uh, you know, maybe it helps me reduce costs or just scale out what I'm doing? So is it an efficiency play, or is it a revenue driving play? Is this going to help me grow my business? And what we've architected Klaviyo to be is really a revenue engine for businesses. If you think about it, there's actually very few pieces of software we can tie a direct line between actions, activities you do with that software, and that causing, you know, uh, consumers to spend more. But we're in that pretty unique, pretty rarefied spot where that's what Klaviyo does. Um, so when I talk with folks, like they, nobody wants to turn off anything that's driving revenue, so long as it's doing it profitably. And one of the great things about our thesis is we're very focused on first-party relationships to consumers. So the reality is the emails and SMS and the marketing folks do through Clavio, it's incredibly high ROI. So we're a revenue engine and we're a profitable reven- revenue engine, very high ROI. And that, that kind of software is really sticky. So I think folks are looking at, hey, what, what actually does provide good ROI? And is it a revenue driver and efficiency play? And sort of the first things that they're focused on and tr- really trying to double down on Is anything that will drive revenue and do it efficiently. Other categories that are maybe nice to have, where it makes you a little more efficient, or, you know, but it's only a little bit, or, you know, maybe the actual return on investment is a little dubious. I think those are categories um, that are probably a little bit tougher. So that's one big theme. The second is when I talk with our customers, there's a big uh, push to how they consolidate down. You know, the other thing they're finding is like the actual cost of, owning various pieces of software. Well, if they don't integrate well together, you have to pay this integration tax. You also have to pay this overhead of learning multiple systems, multiple UIs. Um, and that just gets expensive. And that's not like that's not sort of included in the cost of you know software, but it's it's a real, it's a real, it's a real problem. So one of the things we've added Click as a thesis is like, well, you know, the best best piece of technology, they integrate really tightly together. So you know you take our data platform you know, our marketing, um, our marketing software, people use for marketing automation on top, the fact that we built both of those pieces means that they're guaranteed to work really well together. And, oh yeah, because, you know, the way we design software, we have some like consistent principles we live by. Well, okay, that, or we, you know, build software by, that that makes it a lot easier for folks to understand it. So it's easier to adopt our products. So that's another thing that, you know, I think is, is started to happen, but we honestly believed was gonna happen, you know, 10 years ago. Um, you know, this idea of, you know, you need a different app for every little thing you do in your business just sounded kind of crazy. I mean, nobody wants to learn all those things, make them stitch, uh, fit fit together. And so, uh, yeah, we're very focused on helping businesses, you know, where where, it's, where we can help either use Clagio products or also we have a lot of partners uh, that we work with on the software side. How do we make sure their software integrates really well with ours? So that's not a tax that those businesses have to pay themselves like in some sense we'll take care of that we'll integrate really well into both their other front office applications and back office applications
0: and on your point about your customers trying to figure out which vendor is appropriate and which one's going to give a little too much administration cost to them is that more challenging today than it was pre-pandemic or do are they inundated with a lot of software apps you find
1: i you know, there, there used to be this graphic folks would make of the number of, uh, you know, for retail businesses, for marketers, you know, the number of options they had in the different categories of software they needed to buy. And the numbers just exploded over the last decade. It went from something like there were a hundred pieces of marketing software. To now there's like literally like, you know, thousands. So, yeah, I think it's been a growing trend of kind of this fatigue of software sprawl. And, uh, you know, anytime you start to take a step back, revisit your entire technology stack um, that's something we encourage you know our customers to do is hey make sure you have the right pieces uh, I think a lot of folks are finding it's like you know I probably can do this smarter um, and that's uh, you know, it's something we work on educating folks is like hey you know what is what does the modern tech stack look like um, what are the components you need on the back end what are the components you need on the front end uh, you know what integrates well with each other um, yes yeah, so we spend a lot of time talking about that too
0: and your point on you know, your unique starting uh, aspect where you had married the database bit with the marketing application layer. That seems unique relative to other vendors that are just focused on the application software layer and integrating with a third-party database infrastructure. How did that even come about 10 years plus you know, in the past? And do you think competitors today can mimic this type of Playbook, or is this uh, too much at this point in time to handle?
1: Yeah, so thesis so the first is how do we come up with this concept. I think if you look at a lot of the uh, the great product companies um, and uh, technology companies of the last couple of decades, you know, almost all of them are vertical integration plays. I uh, think about you know Microsoft. It wasn't just an operating system, but it was a software that would run on the operating system. You think about Apple, it's like, well, experts at hardware and experts at software. Amazon handles both logistics as well as a great storefront experience. So there's just tons of companies that follow that paradigm. Uh, You can say uh, Tesla, like the vertical integration of all the pieces of like building a car. So I think oftentimes, you know, it's hard, but if you can take different, when you look at a technology stack and it's gotten kind of fragmented, uh, one of the things you can do that provides a lot of value to the you know whoever you're selling to, whether it's a consumer or a business, if you can say, okay, hey, I'm not going to make you stitch together these things anymore. Like this thing that's been broken into pieces, we're going to help pull it all together. Uh, one, that just makes it a lot easier to use. The second thing is there's oftentimes, there's things you can build with that product. Um, we refer to those internally at Clavio as some kind of like some superpowers, some like advanced capabilities that you can give somebody because all of a sudden, you know, hey, the hardware is integrated with the software. Um, so in our case, just as an example, you know, one of the things Click is really good at is uh, attribution. A real challenge in the marketing space is, you know, for years when we started, it was all about uh, opens and clicks. You know, I had people walk up to me on the, you know, on the street, you know, I'd be grabbing, you know, having dinner and say, oh, well, Andrew, you know, you're kind of, you're into marketing. Can you, can you tell me what a good open rate is? And I, every time I'd ask them, I'd say, well, gosh, I mean, is that, I mean, I, yeah, I could tell you, but like, I mean, do you really care about that? I mean, that's not how you measure your business. I mean, don't you measure it in dollars and, you know, revenue? They say, yeah, yeah, but that's not possible to measure. No, you know, no marketing software does that. So just as an example with Clavio, because we combined our back-end data platform uh, with marketing, that's actually really easy for us to do because we have all the marketing data and we have what consumers do after the fact, and we can stitch it all together. So. That concept of vertical integration was a little bit from studying these, you know, kind of all time great companies, but also and then, you know, applying that to our domain. And then, you you know, you just have to think forward of great. Well, ease of use is obviously going to matter. But what are some of the things you can then do these like superpowers you can give a business?
0: Interesting. And, you know, when when you see these metrics and this attribution and the ROI sale makes it very concrete if you're going to succeed or fail. Within a specific time frame, relative to other technologies, is that what makes it an easy sale versus other peers?
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you asked the question too. You know, hey, how hard is this to mimic? Um, so, first of all, yeah. I mean, one of the things I, you know, uh, I, my, Ed and I would talk about in the early days: how do we make it as easy as possible so that a sales call doesn't even feel like a sales call? And one of one of the things that we had in our mind was you said, you know, it would be awesome if our software would just show you. How much you know money it had made for your business? How much additional revenue it, it had created? And then we felt like you know if I could if I you know if I uh, you know said like well we helped make you hundred thousand dollars last month, and we said hey by the way this software has a price tag of you know five thousand or ten thousand dollars. I mean most people would say like well sounds great like I mean I love this like I, you know I'll I'll sign today. Um, so we wanted it to be that easy that you you could see how much you were spending and you could also see how much you were making and then that math was. Um, you know, it was super obvious, right? Everybody would say this, say yes. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, for as an example, because we've invested so much in this vertical integration, you talk about, you know, being able to replicate what we've done. You know, I'm a big believer that any, any technology, you know, given sufficient time, energy, et cetera, can be built. The challenge is usually is like you have to get in front of big trends. And, you know, our bet uh, now 10, 11 years ago was, hey, this verticalization of the you know backend database, data infrastructure with the front office application, that was coming. And we've been working at that for 10 years. Um, and interestingly, like I, I think there's now some companies that are starting to kind of follow suit, but for a long time we were the only ones doing it. And I think you can build these really durable advantages, you know, product advantages, uh, business advantages. If you get way in front of these trends, and then just invest in them for a really long time, because then you know somebody else in theory could do it, but they're you know sort of time shifted back, you know five ten years they're behind, um, and you know as long as you keep pushing forward, you'll always have an edge. Uh, and so I think that's that's largely what we've seen is that there's you know a lot of we, we you know we're a little bit doing uh, what's the antithesis of uh, what everybody else is doing, which is hey let's just integrate you know it's kind of you know point solutions best in breed of a a part of the stack our strategy is really like well i think we can do both let's let's build multiple layers to this and then make sure they work really well together so individually they're awesome products but then collectively um you know they make something that's even you know even better than the um uh the individual parts
0: and that's interesting point and perspective andrew and i think uh you know what resonates to us is this data relationship that you're enhancing between the merchants and the consumer where are we in this transition from the retailer really knowing their consumer via the data experience? Are we early in this transition? Are the retailers grasping this concept or just what's your view there? I think people definitely get the
1: these the actual technology, the infrastructure and the software has come a long way. Um, you know one of the most interesting trends we see uh, or learnings that I've had from our customers in the last couple of years um, there's kind of two paths to knowing who your customer is and then using that information to, you know, personalize, uh, you know, uh, experiences, messaging. So everybody gets the right message at the right time, um, you know, through the right channel. You know, our initial thesis was, let's just build kind of tools. So a little bit like we build the shovels and the pickaxes of like, hey, if you want to build a great digital experience for your customers, Great. We'll give you all the things you need. We'll give you a place to store data. We'll give you a place to explore it on your own. Every time you have an idea, you know uh, a thing I've told um, our customers for a long time is, you know, if you have an idea while you're walking to work in the morning, by the time you get to, you know, you get to the office or you get to your, you know, gets wherever you work, I want you to be able to take that idea and turn it into an experiment. By the time you go for lunch, like it shouldn't take you more than a few minutes or a few hours. Uh, and that was just, that was totally game changing. At the time it was, oh my gosh, well, that's impossible because I have to go ask this data team to pull some data for me. And I have to wait for my web designer to, you know, to design something up for me. Now I can do all that myself. It's like, it was just a massive, you know, speed up. So part of it was, you know, can we build the tools so that, you know, marketers, entrepreneurs, businesses, now it's a little bit, if you can dream it, you can build it. And that's been really good, and I think that that part is. I mean, there's 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 always more to be done there, but we're well on our way to doing that. Um, and so we think about it, you know, with our product is how do you keep things really, you know, easy to use, but also these really flexible concepts. So if you can dream it, we can build it. Interestingly, though, I think like there's a there's a like each of us as humans, we have like kind of a limited capacity for how complex, you know, we can think about and design these experiences. I mean, in some sense, I tell you know, the marketers that use our, you know, marketing software, I said like, look, I mean, you may not feel this way, but when you build, uh, you know, say, uh, what we call a flow, like an automation in Klaviyo, you're effectively programming. And, uh, you know, a lot of the very, uh, you know, digitally savvy, uh, marketers and business I talked to were like, oh yeah, we know that. Yeah. We've actually, we've designed courses to kind of teach our marketers how to think in programming concepts because it's all the same. They're just, they're pointing and clicking versus writing, you know, parentheses and semicolons. Um, but like all programming, like, you know, those, those actual, the software or, or what you program can get complex. And I think one of the things that's really hard for a marketer is to reason about that complexity. And by the way, the same thing ends up being true for software engineers. We spend a lot of time creating abstractions that make it easier for us to think so we don't have to keep as much in our head. So uh, what's been fascinating is, is like, I've seen there's, there's kind of this asymptote to how far most marketers, like the amount of complexity they're willing to introduce into the experiences and messages they design with Klaviyo. Um, you know, there's some some of our users are, you know, they'll literally build like, uh, you know, these uh, flows that, you know, these big decision trees, and they might have 100 or 200 nodes in them. They're incredibly complex. And they on the side, they'll show me these spreadsheets they have of how they reason about it, all these things that, you know, again, like engineers do to kind of make their software feel less complicated. They'll do the exact same thing uh, to kind of document the programming they're doing inside of Clavio. But for a lot of folks, that's like that's a lot of overhead. And they say, oh gosh, it's just feeling complicated. And now they, you know, they they start to worry about things like, well, gosh, for any one consumer, you know, I've designed, you know. Uh, dozens of rules, different messages people can get, gosh, how do I make sure that somebody, you know, uh, one of my poor customers isn't getting bombarded with uh, emails or text messages from me? And how do I know that the right one for them is going out? I mean, maybe they're eligible for five. Is, you know, is the software automatically maximizing for whatever's uh, the most relevant? And I think that's led to, uh, or that's that convinced us, you know, five, six years ago that it's like, okay, Got it. The future wasn't trying to turn marketing more into like programming. The future was more about like, could you use, uh, you know, could you give people some heuristics and then could you use what we call internally data science, machine learning, people like to call artificial intelligence now, to basically fill in the gaps, to make it easier to reason, to help you make some of these, um, you know, decisions that make the whole system stitch together. And so to give you just one example, like Clavio has this concept of what we call smart sending. And what does Smart Sending do? Well, right now it limits, you know, how many messages someone can get in a specific period of time. So this, do, this solves the basic thing of, gosh, for that, you know, one in a million customer that ends up getting five emails because, oh, my gosh, they happen to have bought three products and all of those different email sequences kind of lined up in the same, same spot. So that was kind of version 1.0. We're now on to version 2.0 which is more about like, well, okay, that's some pretty simple heuristics of kind of like rate limiting. What about could we stack rank and calculate the expected value or the relevance of various messages to a consumer? And can we take that part of the programming of the logistics away from the marketers so they don't have to think about it? It's not a very sexy problem, but like it really matters. And would that help you know, marketers be more creative. It allow them to think just about more ideas and not worry so much about how they're um, how they're combining together. So there's a lot of tooling that we're doing like that. That's you know, it's not just building really easy to use software. It's actually having some artificial intelligence, some machine learning algorithms on the back end that are we you know we think about making smart features that allow people to not have to think about all the complexity, and we can actually abstract some of that away. I think that phase of marketing software, and frankly, in all software, it's just starting. Um, you know, this idea of like what does it mean to be a power user of any piece of software? I think that's going to change. Uh, you know, for a lot of these of software, it means you got to be able to handle more and more complex thoughts. You know, and there's just a limited number of people that are willing to invest the time to kind of think through that. But I actually think with artificial intelligence, we can say, well, don't worry about that. Like, here are the core activities that you want to do inside this piece of software. And can you use artificial intelligence to, you know, one, help improve ideas, and then two, generate new ones, and then all against this backdrop of like, well, don't worry, I'm going to give you these simple concepts. You come up with as many as you want, and we'll kind of handle behind the scenes, uh, making sure that like the scheduling works out. Like, I mean, a good example from like technology might be a little bit how like an operating system, you have lots of programs running on your computer uh, or on your phone, apps on your phone. But it's not really your job to figure out which one of them gets to use the cpu um click is doing a somewhat similar thing but just on the realm of mark
0: i've refrained from using uh, artificial intelligence up to this point in time we're going to get there but you hit on a point on uh, stack ranking and looking at it from a business side uh when we're thinking about the amount of fragmentation to the customers by channel email sms mobile push uh, web notifications how is that decision? Uh, how are they ranking the solutions? Who is aiding them in this uh, kind of myriad of uh, competitors that are emerging by channel or by solution?
1: Yeah, so it's a great example of where I think. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, we think of machine learning, artificial intelligence. It's just how do we use data to create algorithms that do what a human could do, maybe with given enough time, but just do them efficiently. So this this channel selection problem is a is a good example. Um you know when i talk to our customers and partners they say look we understand the last you know 5 years 10 years has been all about point solutions i i have i have to buy one piece of marketing software for every different channel and they all say gosh we hate that cuz it's it's sort of they're so redundant i mean the interfaces are almost exactly the same you can imagine the difference between sending an email versus sending a text message versus sending a you know mobile notification yeah, there's some different design elements, but the core workflow is almost exactly the same. Uh, and so it's it's frustrating to have to buy multiple software, set them up, learn different interfaces. And then then when you get to the interplay between these two, well, gosh, I want to make sure that somebody that's getting a text message doesn't also get an email. There's all these extra logistics people have to do that, like in theory should just be covered by some of these smart systems that I mentioned. Um so you know, Clavy's approach has been twofold. Like one is, you know we believe very much that like, okay, great, well, all of those uh, pieces, of, all of those channels, need to be supported under one, you know, umbrella, and so we've done that. And then we talked about some of these like superpowers we can give folks. You know, with the data that we have, we've been able to do some really interesting work on. Okay, well, like, do is it is it true that different consumers have different channel preference? Uh, you know, and is that affinity really tied more towards the consumer? Is it based on the content of the message? And so, one thing we can do at our scale, where we're sending. Um, you know, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of messages a month and per year. Uh, we've actually been able to figure out that hey, for the most part, it's it's very you know most consumers, they don't they you know they don't really have a preference to a channel like outright. So you and I, it turns out, the way we work, at least on average, is it's not that we just whole holistically prefer you know say email to text messaging. Um, I mean, there are certainly cases where consumers, they only, you know, they, they're sort of designed their, you know, their life or how they want to be communicated with. We say, well, I actually going to cord you off. You only have these one channel. But when we see a lot of consumers that are like, no, no, I'm open to email or text messages um, or mobile notifications, what we found is they actually find it confusing if you kind of move things around. So if the message, you know, this time comes to be a text message, the next time it's an email, it kind of keeps them guessing and that they, they don't like that. That's just sort of, it creates all this. Um, confusion. But what we have found is what they want businesses to do is be smart about looking at the kind of content they have and preferring different channels based on the content. So it's a little bit how like you know if you've got a if you've got a good friend uh, and let's say they're you know they're uh, you know they're visiting from out of town and they're only there for the weekend, okay, you'd expect a text message. I mean, otherwise you'll miss it, and if you don't get to it in the next few days, then like you know, game's over. But if uh, say you're planning, you know, uh, you know, a trip, right? You're going on vacation or you're going to a reunion, but it's a year out. Well, that's actually something that's probably better in an email. Uh, I need a little more space to, you know, to plan it. There's gonna be some back and forth. These are things we all intuitively know from using, you know, using these different channels. Businesses need to do the exact same thing. And what's great is, while you know, a lot of businesses have intuition about what, con- you know, where messaging should, you know, what what channel should go in. Sometimes that doesn't match what consumers would expect. So uh, let's take an example, a lot of uh, of Clavius customers, you know, they'll, uh, let's say they're going to offer, uh, you know, somebody signs up uh, with an email address and a phone number and you want to offer that customer a, uh, you know, or that that new subscriber a first time buying discount. It's actually not really clear, like, hey, is that the kind of thing that I should send via email? I don't want to get in the way or is a text message good because maybe somebody's expecting it right after the fact. And actually, what we can do through machine learning and artificial intelligence is tell you, well, actually, based on the kind of offer that you have, that content, we can tell you which is going to work best. And so we've actually found a lot of a lot of value there in um, helping folks segment out the types of content they have and then recommending channels that we think will perform better, that are, you know match up better to customers' expectations. Um, anyways, that's the kind of stuff that we can do because we have all the channels in one place, but obviously then because we have this like robust data platform that you can do all this kind of ml on.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And zooming out on your leverage of AI and, uh, you know, beyond channels, can you speak on the AI play for your company on the revenue side? Uh, do you see it in terms of speed of personalized recommendations that are hitting the customer or more of a content enhancement in terms of generating the appropriate message? How how are you guys leveraging that first on the, on the revenue side? And how should we think about that also on the cost side?
1: Yeah, well, because, you know, Everything we do is how do we make businesses more successful and how do we do that by you know, building smarter digital relationships, getting them closer to their customers. So we, we tend to think about uh, you know, artificial intelligence in two ways. The first is, as I mentioned, we have a lot of businesses that come to us and say, hey, Andrew, Clavio, I have an idea and I just want it to be faster to execute that idea. And so we look at that as like, how do we uh, help people get their ideas out in the wild faster? Uh, and then, how do we improve those? And so that's a lot of you know what we call like kind of localized artificial intelligence. Um, generative AI is great for this. Somebody has an idea, but you know they got a little bit of writer's block, or they're not sure that this piece of copy that they wrote or this image that they created, they're not sure it's exactly right. Okay, well rather than get stuck and say, "Gosh, I guess I'll sleep on it for a few days," you know, you can use things obviously like generative AI to say, "Hey, give me some alternatives," and I want them in the style of you know these other messages I've written in the past, or here are some examples that I really like. You know, take the concepts I have and merge those together. That's a way to speed things up. So we will do that a lot with um especially with generative AI. Another one is you know for folks that are uh, not as not as uh, technical, we can use generative AI to help them actually create uh, campaigns, contents, define queries inside of Clavio. One of my favorite things we just released is um you know. Uh, a natural language interface for our segmentation engine. So, say you're, you know, you've got you've got uh, ten thousand or a million consumer profiles, and you're trying to find a bunch of folks uh, that will be likely to buy, uh, you know, a product you're about to you're about to launch. Well, there's a lot of ways to to generate that query, and if you don't know the data that's stored inside of Klaviyo, which sometimes marketers don't, they don't know the full breadth of it. You can actually just define that with natural language, and Klaviyo will look at the data you have available and will decide what the best query is. That's awesome. It just speeds things up. So that's so that's one part of it. The, other, the second piece, though, is creating new ideas. I was in New York uh, a few years ago uh, talking with a large retail customer of ours, and you know we would originally talked with them about this idea. They had a spreadsheet of all these ideas we had. We said, we're going to make this faster, and we're going to use some of the machine learning we have um, to help you iterate through those ideas more quickly. Well, they came back, you know, at our next meeting and said, Andrew, our spreadsheet is bare. Like there's no more ideas in here. We need ideas from you. And, uh, that was a real, uh, you know, it was a real aha moment for us of, oh my gosh, like we can't just help people improve their ideas. We need to give them new ones. And so internally at Clavio, we call this guiding, you know, guiding, uh, the user, guiding the customer. And we call it guiding because we don't expect people to take our ideas on face value. They're going to do their own pressure testing of them. You know, they're the editor-in-chief. But we do need to surface really good ideas. And so the other way that we're using artificial intelligence is uh, to look across the ecosystem, the universe of experiments that people have run at Clavio, and help surface other great ideas, uh, you know, that a business may not have thought of yet. And this is great because it matches exactly our customers' intuition. You know, in the past, they were so used to, well... I'm part of this group of marketers and we get together and a lot of what we do is share ideas um, or I go to this conference every year and that's kind of when I figure out all my ideas and then I spend the next year executing them and we thought about, well, that's kind of silly. Like, why don't we just build that directly in the product? I mean, now instead of doing it once a year or once a month, you can do it every day. And so we have machine learning, you know, artificial intelligence algorithms that will look through, you know, the kind of universe of experiments and pick out ones that we think are relevant, rel- uh, relevant to a business. So we think of that as like an assistant or a co-pilot. And uh, you know, we we expect that the natural progression here is Clavio is gonna go from helping you improve your ideas to helping suggest ideas to eventually, you know, if we get good enough at it that we keep showing you ideas that you like, and then we can generate, you know, some really interesting campaigns off of those. Eventually you're gonna say, you know what, just turn on Clavio Autopilot. And I don't think this, this pattern I don't think is unique to our uh, category of software. I think this is something you're going to see across all genres of software, is this progression of software as a productivity tool, it helps me get things done fast, to software that suggests, you know, hey, I know the outcome you're after, here's how I think you should do it, to software that we say, you know, you've sort of, you've learned enough, I've given you enough feedback, you're doing a really good job with this, you can take it from here. Um, and it's that last phase that you know it's it, it's it's not it's not there yet. There's some small decisions where Clavio is doing that automatically for folks, but to do that holistically, that's something we're very hard at work on. And I think it's it's really fascinating. I mean, you know, it's fascinating in our space, um, you know, marketing. But we're, our team is also thinking about that. Hey, more generically, like how do you apply this to any piece of software? Um, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if you could uh, you log into your favorite WordPressing uh, WordPressing software? And you said, "Hey, I just uh, I need to write a proposal that convinces people of this idea," and it just poof created it. Uh, and I think you know, in the next few years, we're going to see that that's that's a real possibility.
0: And today, I'm assuming from your comments that uh, the majority of your customers are relying on Clavio to leverage generative AI technology and other AI tools. Do you see that changing? Uh, and what type of time period uh, do you expect that to? Maybe transition in terms of more customer familiarity or usage of AI?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we see that. We talk to our customers a lot about how they're using, you know, the obviously the generative AI uh, features that we've built and that we're experimenting with and, and, you know, building out for them. We also talk a lot about like how they're seeing it in other parts of their life, right? Whether it's other, you know, if it's a business, other pieces of like business software, but also just from a consumer perspective. Uh, what do they like? What are they, one of the things that we we think a lot about is, what do they trust most quickly? I think with artificial intelligence, one of the big questions is how do you build user trust? and how do you do that quick, you know efficiently? There's a, part of it is you know the model needs to actually spit out a result that you know that a user will trust, or maybe tell the user it's like, hey, I'm not sure, and therefore I want you to be a little skeptical of me. Um, so we think that's really interesting. Like how do you tune those models and build trust together? Uh, and then I also just think there's different domains, different kinds of um, decisions that people are naturally more trusting on, maybe because they're lower risk. Um, and then how do you build trust in those high um, high importance, high risk environments? So uh, I mean, our our, our goal our, or our viewpoint is, I mean, definitely, you know, over the next few years, by the end of this decade, I mean, that kind of guidance layer being built into software is going to be the norm. So the question is really, how do you get there? And then it's going to happen over the next few years. Um, a major part of our strategy is, because trust is so important, is we have a we have a saying internally that's like, we're always going to show our work when it comes to artificial intelligence. We think one of the quickest ways to destroy credibility or lose trust is when a model spits out a result and a user is like, whoa, that obviously is wrong. And now all of a sudden, they feel like they have to double check everything. Um, and so what we try to do is say, hey, look, where we're not confident in a result, we're going to tell you that. So you can be a little more skeptical, but we're also, we want to make sure that, you know, any result we produce is not black box. Like we can show you how we did our work and why we got there. Um, and that's, that's oftentimes people find is very helpful. A, a lot of, I think what you know, people find with, even with a basic automation, a lot of, it's the opacity that's really challenging. And so if you can show somebody, hey, show me your, the steps that you use to get there, to get, get to this result. Actually, we find that users are actually very willing to kind of help us do the debugging and say, "Oh, hang on, it's that step in your logic flow that's wrong, and you should work on improving that." Um, so we'll see. I, I'm very bullish on. I you know I uh, I think this is uh, you know well there's still a lot to be done. It's just so natural that you know moving software from this realm of like productivity to software that knows the outcomes you're after and can drive towards those. I mean everybody wants that. Uh, so I think the big one is is like how do you build up users that are willing to try. And then knowing inevitably it's going to be wrong how do you help them build trust and even help you debug Um, those are a lot of the patterns that we spend a lot of time thinking about
0: a lot of different directions we can take the conversation but uh, maybe we can focus in on uh, two lasting points here for our listeners Uh, how should we think about uh, your view or strategy on monetizing your ai Um, and you know, moving off of that, where should some of our listeners look for the AI features to show up uh, in your product portfolio?
1: Yeah, great. So on, on monetization, I you know, our philosophy is first build a great product, and if you build a great product, people will be willing to pay for it. The value will be obvious, um, and they won't you know they won't they won't mind um, uh, you know if you charge them for it. So uh, you know, long term we think about if we can if we can help make uh, either uh, marketers more efficient, if we can help improve their ideas, bring them new ideas that are revenue driving, uh, you know, the businesses I talk to say, that's great. I mean, Clavio is already so high uh, ROI. If you can help us increase that, we're definitely willing to pay for it. So we're very much in this phase right now. of Let's figure out how we build, a pro- you know, products, features that people love. And then once you've proven that, I think monetizing it is an easy, you know, fast follow. And then in terms of where to look at that inside of our product, it's really the two things I mentioned. So one of those core workflows inside of Klaviyo of how you explore data, finding segments of customers that, you know, uh, you didn't know about or want to discover, uh, creating contents, uh, creative, deciding, you know, how to automate. Um, or personalized? Like, what, what does personalization mean? Is it based on a product affinity? Is it based on the amount of, uh, you know, somebody's LTV? All those kinds of things. Across those core workflows, you should expect two things from us. One is, hey, we're going to help you where you have ideas, make those better. But then also, when you run out of ideas, we're going to show you what we think you should do next. And it's especially that that latter use case. Um, I love this idea of you log into software and it's not your job to decide how you're gonna spend your time with it. The software will suggest, uh, hey, Neeraj, I think the next thing you should, you should, if you have an hour, these are the highest value things you can do. I think that that's an interface I, uh, I think a lot of our customers would love.
0: That's very exciting to hear, Andrew. Um, we truly enjoyed this conversation today, uh, and we look forward to seeing what comes next from the Clavio team. Uh, we wanna thank you for joining us today on Bloomberg's Tech Disruptors.